Welcome back to Seriously Funny. I'm your host, Mashnor Kabir, and I invented water. Today, we're going to talk about the history of vaccines from the first accounts of variolation to the inventions required to create the latest COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, When I say latest, I don't mean latest. The Janssen one, I'm not completely sure how that one works and i was a little bit too lazy to look into it generally though it's similar to the moderna and pfizer thing but it uses a dna strand rather than mrna strand um sometimes when i talk i'm a hundred percent sure the person listening to me doesn't know what i'm talking about but if i use big words it sounds like i know what i'm talking about and so people just don't ask questions and assume that i'm right so that's why i said those things you're welcome Uh, don't pretend like you know things that you don't I just happen to talk in a way that makes it seem like I know a lot more than I probably do anyways it's gonna be a good time so sit back strap in and let's go back to the past but before that remember when I said to watch the final season of Attack on Titan Apparently, it's not done yet, so I have to wait 10 more months for around 6 episodes to see, like, the end end. So that kind of sucks. But, you know, I've been, I've waited for 6 years. What's one more? Um, Other than that, Quadeca released an album called From Me to You, and it's really, really good. So if you listen to music, uh, go give that a listen. Very good album. I really liked it. It's about an hour long. Very uh, A lot of instruments, a lot of great production. Uh, very, very good. Anyways, now we can go back to the past. And before we go way, way back, let's just go back to biology class. For those of you that have taken a biology class, a basic one, you've all sat in class and one day your teacher pulls up the black and white picture of a guy and the title slide said Edward Jenner and then the teacher tells you the story in 1796 Edward Jenner in all of his genius was able to see that milkmaids didn't get the smallpox virus that was ravaging England this smallpox virus was causing epidemic after epidemic killing millions and millions of people for so many like hundreds of years and so this guy, this Jenner guy, he thought that since these milkmaids were exposed to a much less severe and less fatal version of the smallpox virus, cowpox, that they could avoid smallpox. And to test this hypothesis, Jenner conducted an experiment that would have been burned at the door of any ethics board in existence today. Jenner took the pus of a cow pus pustule and infected his gardener's nine-year-old child. A few weeks later, Jenner exposed the child to smallpox, and like magic, the child was unaffected, making Edward Jenner the father of vaccinology. So you got to remember that one for the test, all right? That was an important fact. Who created vaccines? Edward Jenner. And if you put that on the test, you'd be wrong. You see, the story of the milkmaids and the child isn't completely wrong, but uh, however, it's similar to the story that Christopher Columbus was the first person to claim that the earth was round. He actually thought that it was a pear shape. He didn't think it was round. Jenner wasn't the first to observe that milkmaids avoided smallpox. 
it was pretty common knowledge that milkmaids uh, and people that were exposed to cowpox didn't get smallpox or usually didn't get smallpox. And so that was pretty, you know, pretty common knowledge. This is a normal thing. And so where did this story come from? The story of Jenner and his genius and being the father of, you know, immunology. Um, the These people, uh, Edward Jenner, uh, Cotton Mather, these people, the people that were doing vaccination in the 1790s, 1800s, they were uh, met with a lot of opposition. People weren't a fan of putting stuff into their body in England and Europe. Um, it just wasn't a thing that they wanted to do. Similar to how we have anti-vaxxers today, there were anti-vaxxers back then, and we're going to talk about that more. Um, and so to fight that anti-vax uh you know, agenda of the wider population, uh, Jenner's uh, first biographer, uh, John Barron, they pushed vaccines by creating a story. Uh, and so John Barron, a friend, and again, the original biographer of Jenner, created the story as propaganda that ended up in our biology textbooks today. In other words, that propaganda worked. It worked so well that the UK government believed that legislation should be pushed to make it so all children get these vaccinations because smallpox had created, again, epidemic after epidemic, killing millions for many years of history. And we finally found a defense. And then, yeah, when the UK introduced this legislation, uh, advocates of the variolation in the 18th century uh, they were forced to defend immunization against, you know, the anti-vaxxer charges and stuff. And so this is pretty normal. I mean, we see this all throughout history. Whenever science kind of pops up, people are like, no, F you. Like, it's how Galileo got excommunicated from the church. And so, you know, as humans do, vaccine rejection, vac anti-vaccination movements, they popped up. Not recently, it's not a new thing. Anti-vaccines or anti-vaxxers, they were created when vaccines became a big thing in England. So, uh, soon after the Mandatory Vaccination Acts of 1853 and 1867 in the UK, uh, which led to smallpox vaccination for 90% of infants in England and Wales, um, the London Society for the Abolition of Compulsory Vaccination was founded. Yep, so anti-vaxxers, they existed since the beginning of effing time. But yeah, it's a good time. But that's why they created that somewhat false story. Jenner did do some experience on vaccination. However, he wasn't the first one. So let's talk about the actual story of vaccination and how it happened. So around 10,000 BCE, that's a lot of effing years ago, a viral infection called smallpox emerged in Africa. And we can see evidence of this because in the mummies dating back to about 3rd BCE, 3rd century BCE in Egyptian money, mummies, we can see smallpox legions on them. And so as trade grew throughout the world, uh, and throughout uh, Asia, Europe, Africa, and India, and you know all of these places, um, smallpox continued to infect people, and it spread more and more. It spread to China, then to India, then to Japan, 
and then to Korea, and then finally later, it would have ended up into Europe. And so Asia and the unaffected parts of Africa, which I think was South Africa or North Africa, one or the other, um, through the slave trade, it got to the West, which is America, South America, Canada. And the virus, the virus, smallpox, it would kill about 30% of the people that it infected. Uh, and if it didn't kill them, it was likely to leave marks that permanently disfigured the person or, you know, messed up their face. Um, although it's unknown who made the vaccines that we have today, it was commonly known that people that survived smallpox didn't get it again. So before Jenner was born, before he was even a uh, sperm in his dad's balls, his dad didn't even exist at this point. So before Jenner was born, yeah, uh, some people thought that maybe they should take the pus from smallpox pustules and put it into healthy people. This was called variolation and was happening hundreds of years before Jenner. I don't remember what variolation comes from, like the term comes from. Uh, it has something to do with, uh, oh, it was a... Uh, the variola virus, that's like, that's kind of what the smallpox thing was called because of the things that it left on your body. And like one of the symptoms of the, the spots it would leave on your body or like variola. And so the variolation was an idea to inoculate against uh, the smallpox. And that's how it got its name. So uh, through the years, although, you know, these old, old ancient people, they didn't understand the concept of memory cells and immunitory function. Through rituals that may seem really strange to us now that are like really weird, uh, they did inadvertently create the system that allows for our vaccines today. So they kind of stumbled upon it. Uh, part of some of these variolation techniques was keeping the smallpox waste uh, at a warmer or cooler temperature, exposing it to steam, mixing it with other substances. And what this does is, is it weakens the virus. And you can recall from the episode where we talked about the COVID-19 uh, vaccinations, where I uh, explained how vaccinations work. Um, weakening the virus allows the immune system to be exposed to the virus's genetic material, allowing memory cells, a part of the immune system involved in storing information of antibodies, to handle the virus that it's been exposed to while avoiding the full-blown attack. And that's how va basic vaccinations work today. And so they were uh, through what they, to them, were just like these rituals by the gods or something. I don't know. They accidentally actually did make a good method of vaccination and uh, inoculation. And so uh, since they were using strange rituals instead of like, you know, science methods, like uh, a tested and tried, like standardized way of doing this, some people did die. And some people did have some form of the virus getting inoculated. However, death rates decreased and the benefits outweighed the costs. As variolation became more popular, it spread to England, where it not only became widely accepted, but it became trendy to get vaccinated, which is similar to how people post the pictures of their COVID-19 vaccinations today. It seems history does repeat. Um, but anyways, uh, going further into the vaccination, at one point in time in Boston, I think Massachusetts, uh, an outbreak occurred for smallpox and cotton mathers who is a figure uh, a minister that was involved in the salem witch trials so um 
people thought that some people were witches and they were going to burn those witches or they were going to drown the witches. It wasn't, they tried to kill a lot of people. And so Cotton Mathers, he was a minister who's involved in, you know, trying to kill these, quote, witches, end quote. Of course, they're not actually witches. But he lost a lot of his credibility and he lost a lot of respect because as it turns out, attempting to murder people doesn't really raise your public standing. But uh, Mathers had heard from an African man that he'd enslaved, Anismius, uh, or uh, An- Anisimus, that about the practice of variolation. And so uh, Anisimus, uh, or Onisimus, crap, I don't remember the pronunciation of his name. O-N-E-S-I-M-U-S, Anisimus, or is it Onisimus? I don't remember. An- <laughs> Anisius, uh uh, his, as an African dude, he lived in a tribe in Africa, and his tribe would practice variolation. And so Anisimus talked to Mathers about uh, variolation, how it worked, and he showed uh, Mathers, uh, Anisimus showed his Mathers his scars from the variolation, because you were poking your body with the, uh, like a needle. It wasn't a needle, it would be like a sharp thing, because they didn't understand how to make needles at that point needles are kind of hard to make if you don't know they're pretty effing small anyways uh so yeah they would use like teeth or sharp bone stuff um, so they had scars anyways Mathers wanted to restore some of his public standing and public uh, respect and stuff and so he believed that if he could stop that smallpox outbreak in Boston uh, people would find more faith in him so with the help of a man named Zabdian Boylston, Boylston and Mathers variolated whoever would accept it. And although people believed their actions were irresponsible, Mathers was left with data. People were actually pretty mad. Again, they didn't like Mathers. One guy even tried to bomb him and threw a bomb into his house, but the bomb didn't go off. Um, so yeah, people did not like this guy, but whoever they could get variolated or vaccinated or whatever... Uh, they did, you know, they, they gave it to them. And so what Mathers was left with at the end was data. Out of 6,000 infected Bostonians, 850 died, about a 15% fatality rate. And six, uh, about 2% of the variolated group died. So six people rather than 850. That's a big difference. Um, and this is now considered to be one of the first clinical trials conducted in history, one of the first methods of quantitative medicine. And so in all of this, where is Jenner? All of this happened before Jenner was ever involved, before he was even a light of existence in anywhere. This man didn't exist. Uh, Jenner did help the work of vaccinology slash immunology by providing the use of cowpox rather than using smallpox, which provided a safer way to variolate. Uh, or as, and also, Jenner, Edward Jenner, was the one who coined the term vaccinate, which originated from the Latin term vaca, or vaca, meaning cow. Yep, that's right. Vaccinate comes from the word cow. Pretty effing cool, huh? That right there is a fact that everyone should remember. Anyways, uh, 
this story shows us how information can be twisted, how the information presented to push a cause may be held up as the truth. While Baron didn't push information for malicious reasons, he just wanted to, you know, get, you know, vaccination to be a common thing and accept it. Baron, you know, yeah, I mean, his work is probably the reason that vaccinations were better accepted. Uh, even within vaccines, we can see twisted information and how this affects public view of understanding. So this happens in a lot of points in history. For example, like I said earlier, Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus, A, wasn't the first person to discover America. The Native Americans lived here. They were already there, so someone else often discovered it first. And so second of all, uh, Christopher Columbus, he thought that it would take four days to get from uh, wherever he was. I think it was Spain that uh, gave him the money to do it. And to go to India, he thought, because he didn't think America existed. He thought that the earth was a pear shape and he could go from Europe to India by sailing around the earth. Um, it took him four months just to get to America. So he was quite, he was wrong by 30 times. Yeah, he was wrong by a, a, a what would you call a factor of 30. But yeah, he, he wasn't really the brightest tool in the shed. He was kind of dumb. It was actually really widely known and accepted that the earth was round. At that point, the first guy to discover the earth was round was an Egyptian librarian in like the library of Alexandria that figured out the earth was round. And he made a pretty good guess at like the circumference of the earth too, uh, by just looking at how shadows uh, reacted to the sun. Uh, as the sun, you know, progressed throughout the day and how the shadows of certain pillars would um, uh, act or look. And so, you know, it was known for a really long time that the earth was round. But we have this story of Christopher Columbus because, well, making the white man seem really, really popular is, uh, or making the, it seem like the white man built history is really popular. There's a lot of black people in history that aren't recognized. For example, Anismius, uh, An um, Earlier, we talked about he was the guy that introduced this like idea of variolation of Mathers. He's pretty important in the story, um, and he was a black man from Africa. Uh, other than that, there's women that are involved in a lot of uh, science and history that we don't talk about often. Uh, it sucks. Uh, it's uh, an agenda that's been pushed for a long, long time, and it has become truth uh, in our textbooks and such. And so. To one extent, there's, it verifies a quote. I once heard a quote in 10th grade. Our history teacher showed it to us. History is simply an agreed-upon set of lies. You see, we don't actually know what, what's true in history. But we just uh, say, all right, this is true enough. And we're just going to say this story is the truth. Uh, there's so many accounts and so many people lie. For example, Julius Caesar, he wrote a book about himself winning so many battles for the Roman Empire. And do you know who wrote that book? He, he did. He, he literally just said he won. He, just, he wrote it in third person. He, instead of saying, I beat them, he just said, Julius Caesar beat them. And then he like, basically made it history. History can be twisted. It's not, you know, it it's, happens pretty, actu pretty often, actually. Um, a lot of people make stuff up in history. A lot of historians that we talk about, like uh, uh, Frick, what Osidius Frick. How can I not remember his name? Um, Homer, there we go, made stuff up. Uh, and, you know, his great Greek historians, like they made stuff up. It happens. And so it kind of sucks that, uh, you know, history gets twisted, but 
it happens. So, you know, we look for the truth where we can. And this right here is the truth of, um, you know, the story of vaccinations. Now we're going to do something I've never really done before. Uh, I'm going to take a break here. We're going to roll an ad in the middle. Just the simple ad I usually have at the beginning. We're all at the middle this time. And I will see you right after this ad. We're going to go on a little bit further, though. And we're going to talk about um, a, a little more. So first misinformation sucks ball sacks you guys want to know why half of the anti-vaxxers today exist in february of 2010 the lancet medical journal they retracted a case study that it had published 12 years prior and the the redacted study was led by an english physician named andrew wakefield and it claimed to have identified uh, a new autistic entro enterocolitis since some of the words here, man, in 12 children, 12, without providing any supporting data in the discussion section of the article, the authors proposed a causal link between the immunization of these children with the measles, mumps, and rubella, MMR, vaccine, and the development of this syndrome. So this caused so much damage and it literally no supporting evidence a sample of a sample size of 12 children this study was conducted so poorly and it was horribly done in every way shape and form it is absolutely disgusting how uh they could just claim a causal relationship with such a, a abhorrently designed study and yet people believed it and now we can see the effects of this thing from like the UK, who in 2019 is no longer considered by the World Health Organization to have eliminated measles. People are effing dying and it sucks. I mean, so like, let's look at, uh, let's look at what measles does. Uh, measles causes fever, rash, cough, runny nose, and red watery eyes. Complications can include ear infection, diarrhea, pneumonia, brain damage, and death. For mumps, fever, headache, muscle aches, tiredness, loss of appetite, and swollen salivary glands. Complications can include swelling of the testicles or ovaries, deafness, inflammation of the brain and or tissue covering the brain, and spinal cord. And, like, you have to understand, so, first of all, it's not going to cause autism to get the vaccine. But if you don't get the vaccine and you do get the virus, you know what happens? You're going to get brain damage. So, I mean, like, you're, the thing that you thought you were trying to prevent is going to cause the thing that you were trying to prevent. Like, it's just, it's horrible. I, it's, a, it's a bad time. Yeah, vaccinations save lives. I mean, that's the moral of the story, right? Like, vaccinations have saved more lives than any other creation or invention in the history of human history. Um, so, yeah. Uh, moreover, let's go ahead and talk about how this COVID-19 vaccine, the, some of the problems that I did discuss a little bit, but I didn't go into detail about in my how the COVID-19 vaccines work. So we can discuss that here. The COVID-19 vaccine was synthesized and tested within the last 10 months. That's the story that we hear. However, it was not simply created in the past 10 months. It was created over the course of the past 50 years. The mRNA experiments began in 1971 when researchers from the UK put mRNA into frog eggs from rabbit cells uh, or mRNA from rabbits into frog egg cells. 
then began the string of experience to coax mRNA strands into more complex cells. Then came the theory of using mRNA vaccines in the early 1990s, which produced our first issue. If you're not putting the mRNA strand directly into the cell, when you inject an mRNA strand into the body, it has a propensity to fall apart or be absolutely obliterated or blasted apart by the immune system. For decades, we were stuck, but finally we were able to add a specific gene sequence on the end of the mRNA strand. And um, I think this is called, oh wait, no. Yeah, so we were just able to apply certain uh, sequences of genes to the mRNA strand that made it so that the immune system didn't uh, obliterate it. It was made the mRNA strand seem more natural to your uh, immune system. So it would be like, all right, let's not kill the thing. Then we ran into problem two. Even if your immune system says, all right, that's part of the body. Uh, it's still going to like destroy certain things. For example, like tumor cells, uh, like where cancer comes from. Cancer comes from tumors. Um, the th- Tumor cells, they happen in your body sometimes, probably in everyone's. The thing is your immune system, before it becomes a problem, will go ahead and just like destroy that cell or make it self-destruct or something. So even your own body like uh, has some malfunctions and the immune system deals with that. So even if this mRNA strand is uh, a part of your body, uh, the immune system still might obliterate it. And that causes problem number two. When something new comes into the body, we need that mRNA strand to get into a cell before it gets destroyed. And so in 2005, we found that if we can apply certain chemical modifications to the mRNA strand, not only can we get the mRNA strand into a cell, however, we can call the immune system in the area preparing the body to take care of the proteins created with the instructions of the mRNA strand while making sure that it didn't induce an all-out attack deactivating the vaccine before it could start helping the body. And so the chemicals that we added are called adjuvants. Adjuvants are added into all vaccines. They're just chemical substances that are um, put into vaccines to make sure it it induces the proper immune response from your body to make sure that you create the antibodies that you need in the most effective way possible. And so adding these chemicals is nothing new, nothing scary. It's normal. We just had to find the right ones to find the right adjuvants to add to the mRNA strands so that we could make the immune system do what we wanted to. And not only did we fix the problem, but the problem actually became a opportunity. What we found was that not only could we say, hey, immune system, don't kill me. Let me get into a cell. We could also say, all right, immune system, don't kill me yet. However, wait around. Give me a second. And then go ahead and then kill me when, <laughs> when I've done what I need to do. And so it actually made the vaccine more uh, efficacious, more effective, more helpful. However, uh, we ran into one more problem. How do we get that mRNA strand into the cell? So the, the mRNA strand, these things don't you know, usually go into cells. Uh, there's no process by which... Um, at least that I know of. This might be completely wrong. Don't take this one at face value. I don't have a source for this. Um, I don't think mRNA strands randomly float around your body and then enter cells. mRNA strands are created within cells and they're used within cells to create proteins um, within the cell. And so the mRNA strand is actually too big to pass easily through a cell's membrane. So 
Uh, although we, some of them could weasel themselves through, like it's possible uh, some of them could get through, the number just wasn't high enough. Now we could close our eyes, cross our fingers, cross our toes, and say, all right, we're going to inject this thing into you. There's like a 5% chance that it'll work. All right, it'll, it'll be good. Um, so what we did was we created this new, cool, really th- new, cool, this really cool new thing called lipid nanoparticles, LNPs. And these are used by both the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines. So LNPs are made out of small balls of layered lipids, which are just fats, uh, with the mRNA strand tucked safely inside. Although the cell won't take a rogue mRNA strand, uh, cells do have a process called endocytosis used for moving lipids into cells, dissolving the lipid and then swallowing the package, which in this case is the mRNA strand. This technology, although the experiments were first conducted in the 1970s, researchers have perfected the process and it got approved in 2018 by the FDA for RNA drug uh, RNA drugs utilizing LNPs. 2018, that was three years ago. Three years before this, uh, actually the COVID-19 pandemic was in 2019. So it was one year One year before COVID-19, the weapon that we needed to use to fight the virus was approved. Some people think it took 10 months. And to one extent, yes, for the specific COVID-19 vaccine, yes, 10 months. A lot of people got onto it. All humans internationally worked on it together. Um, However... It, we got so lucky. Literally one year before, we had the thing approved that we needed to be approved to make all of this work. To make those 10 months meaningful, we, like, so many years of research went into it. And all of that research got approved literally one year before the outbreak of this pandemic. Uh, it absolutely, it, it's not spectacular or incredible. It's lucky. We got so absolutely lucky. And so this is similar actually to the story of Edward Jenner. See, Edward Jenner, Pfizer, Moderna, like Edward Jenner can't be credited with the first vaccine. He just didn't do that. And similarly, Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech cannot be solely credited with the swift creation of this novel vaccine. Although we did great work internationally coming together as a single unit of humanity to create a solution to a human health crisis. Science is incremental and breakthroughs are had on the shoulders of giants. The COVID-19 vaccine wasn't something we created to solve this pandemic in the past year. We got lucky when 50 years of research was ready two years before I heard that my school was going to get closed down because this pandemic was too effing crazy. We got really lucky And similar, again, to Jenner, Moderna, and Pfizer cannot be the ones that are credited with all of it. It was uh, research, once again, built on the shoulders of giants. Those 10 months were based on 50 years of preliminary research, testing, trial and error, and problems and questions and tests that we needed to run, figure out, fix the safety of, fix the work of, fix the... uh, Uh, not even safety, just making it work. Um, And it all got done and put together and approved two years before the vaccine was released. Uh, 
extremely lucky, extremely incredible, really cool programs like Oxford's uh, Pandemic X preparation stuff uh, helped a lot. But humanity, we didn't, this vaccine, if you're scared of it because it was made, quote, too quickly, end quote, it wasn't made quickly at all. It took 50 years, and a regular vaccine takes about 10 years, all right? So we did pretty well. And one of the reasons that a regular vaccine takes 10 years is just creating the stupid thing. The processes of making normal vaccines are so long-winded and painful, it's really, really bad. But these mRNA vaccines, now that they're safe, approved, and we know that they work because we've been using them in the COVID-19 vaccines, and they're going pretty well, um... Uh, frick, I lost my train of thought. Uh, now that we see that they work, uh, future vaccines, they'll be cheaper to make, they'll be easier to make, and they'll be easier to distribute, and they'll be safe, and they'll be just as efficacious. And so mRNA vaccines are probably going to be the next wave of every every virus that we know of that we're going to be vaccinating against and variolating against. Uh, well, I guess we're not variolating anymore. Uh, vaccinating against or inoculating against. And so all of it, all in all, is really, really, really cool. And so, yeah, uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Seriously Funny. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it was uh, it was a pretty all right one. I think I misspoke a few times because I was reading from a really, really long thing. Uh, I basically just copy and pasted my paper from English, and then I just like bullet pointed it out in my head while I was reading it. So there's some parts I messed up. That's why it happened. Also, uh, I guess there is no also. Yeah, that's, that's about it. Um, once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, it was pretty, pretty, yeah, again, pretty good one in my opinion. I think I, I think we did a good job here. But uh, hopefully you got some education. Hopefully, uh, I mean, I made the history a little bit less boring. I know history is not many people's favorite subject. But yeah, anyways, that's all we got for this week on Seriously Funny. Thank you once more for listening to this episode, and I will see you next week. Peace.